Hey everybody, it is good to see you. So this is, um, if you're if you're new with us, the one thing we've discovered in this yay almost ten months that we have been doing um, online gatherings that we love a lot of things about Zoom. Singing together is not one of the things we love about Zoom, but we miss that that joint practice that we could do together when we would come together and sing. So we're, we've been trying different ways, sometimes through meditation. And in this season, we're doing something called Lectio Divina together, which is just a way of listening to a certain passage of scripture together and listening to what it communicates just to our heart. We're not looking for um, you know, high theology or anything like that. It's just believing that God loves us and wants to speak to us through scripture um, to encourage us, to lift us up, to comfort us in whatever we're going to. So we embrace and welcome all different things that people might hear or experience when we're doing this practice of reading a scripture and sitting in silence and just allowing it to do its work. So we're going to read it through, or I'm going to read through a portion, and then we're going to pause and it's going to be quiet for about 30 seconds. And sometimes in our busy culture, that feels like an eternity. But um, I think, you know, as we continue doing this, it's going to become a really treasured space for reflection. So um, what I want you to notice today, in I'm going to, I'm going to read uh, the the section and I thought maybe we would in, we would focus on our incarnation, which just means our humanness, our bodiliness, and that you know, like there's so many things about the way that our bodies are that are less than perfect or maybe don't always feel acceptable, but our bodies are really literally the only thing that has been with us in every single moment of our lives. And it holds stories, it tells us so much. So when I read through today, I thought we would just in, in the stillness, notice a word or a phrase or whatever that stands out in you and just notice if you can feel something in this beautiful gift of a body that God has given you, no matter how our body functions or doesn't function, what do we notice? And it's just, um, so we're going to pay attention to that together. We will read through this. Uh, we will have, I'll read through it. We'll pause for 30 seconds. I'll read through it again. And we'll pause for another 30 seconds. And if you feel like sharing or commenting in the chat what's going on, you are so welcome to do that. So I'm reading the first half of Psalm 111. I am using the message translation. So I invite you to just take a breath, settle into your seat. And I'm going to read this together. Hallelujah. I give thanks to God with everything I've got, wherever good people gather and in the congregation. God's works are so great, worth a lifetime of study, endless enjoyment. Splendor and beauty mark his craft. His generosity never gives out. His miracles are his memorial. This God of grace, this God of love, he gave food to those who fear him. He remembered to keep his ancient promise. 
As we pause, I invite you to notice any words or phrases and where you might feel that in your body right now. I'm gonna read it once more. And if you would like to share in the comments, you are welcome to do that. Hallelujah. I give thanks to God with everything I've got, wherever good people gather and in the congregation. God's works are so great, worth a lifetime of study, endless enjoyment. Splendor and beauty mark his craft. His generosity never gives out. His miracles are his memorial this God of grace, this God of love. He gave food to those who fear him. He remembered to keep his ancient promise. And again, I invite you to notice what stands out to you and maybe where in your body you experience God's goodness today. standing out for me is he remembered and I feel that in my heart. I feel that God's presence and remembrance is with me and so I love knowing that there's a bodily experience with that. I'm going to read it once more before we close. Hallelujah. I give thanks to God with everything I've got. Wherever good people gather and in the congregation, God's works are so great worth a lifetime of study, endless enjoyment. Splendor and beauty mark his craft. His generosity never gives out. His miracles are his memorial. This God of grace, this God of love, he gave food to those who fear him. He remembered to keep his ancient promise. All right, Morgan, back to you. Hi, so we are gonna have communion together. Um, I should say good morning, I haven't said that yet, good morning. Um, yeah. So great to uh, to learn some more about Stephen Karen that I didn't know, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, and uh, that, that psalm's beautiful. Oh, such a, like Morgan said in the chat, such a breath of fresh air. It was lovely. Okay, we're going to take communion together. Um, and so if you have your elements, bread or wine, 
or whatever you have. Um, we are going to do this together. I'm going to read a poem this morning uh, by Jan Richardson, which is called And the Table Will Be Wide, uh, to follow on from what you were saying earlier. So, and the table will be wide, and the welcome will be wide, and the arms will open wide to gather us in, and our hearts will open wide to receive, because the arms that open wide, they're Jesus's. It's him that welcomes us to the table this morning. Like we get, I get the privilege right now of passing on the invitation, but the invitation is from Jesus to come to the table. And we will come as children who trust there is enough. And we will come unhindered and free. And our aching will be met with bread. Let's eat together. Jesus is the bread that comes down from heaven. He is the one that feeds us. And our aching will be met with bread and our sorrow will be met with wine. So let's drink together. Jesus tells us to drink and remember him. And we will open our hands to the feast without shame. And we will turn toward each other without fear. And we will give up our appetite for despair. And we will taste and know of delight. And we will become bread for a hungering world. And we will become drink for those who thirst. And the blessed will become the blessing. And everywhere will be the feast. Mm -hmm. Amen. Okay, now I have a very special treat for us this morning. Phil Westendorp is going to speak. Everybody give the man a little love. And uh, I'm going to pray for him and, uh, and then release him to say whatever it is the Lord has given you to say today. So God, I thank you for Phil. I thank you for his willingness to step out and give this a go. I thank you for mm. his um, heart as a peacemaker. I thank you for his... Um, spirit of the spirit of Jesus that I see in him and I pray God that you would speak through us uh, through him this morning and that we would hear you speak to us through Phil's words and I pray that he would have fun um, and I thank you for him amen amen um all right well um yeah I want to thank Sarah and uh, Eden and uh, leadership team for giving me this opportunity uh, to speak. Um, like Steve, I'm also an introvert. And uh, so this has its uh, challenges for me, but I, I really appreciate the opportunity. And uh, yeah, so for those who don't know me, uh, my name is Philip Westendorp. Uh, this is not my day job. Um, I'm actually the operations director at Insight for Living Canada. Um, I have a amazing wife and uh, two uh, wonderful, beautiful girls. Um, I've lived in Abbotsford most of my life and have been with the bridge um, since before it began uh, from the Abbey Vineyard. So um, often sitting in the background, I have just watched things grow and develop, which has been a, a really cool opportunity for me. So um, we'll be looking at 
Mark, uh, Mark chapter one, verses 21 to 28 from the lectionary. And I'm actually gonna get my wife, Elisa, to, uh, to read that for us. Okay. Uh, Mark 1, 21, <clears throat> Jesus casts out an evil spirit. Jesus and his companions went to the town of Capernaum and every Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue and taught the people. They were amazed at his teaching, for he taught as one who had real authority, quite unlike the teachers of religious law. A man possessed by an evil spirit was in the synagogue, and he began shouting, Why are you bothering us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One sent from God. Jesus cut him short. Be silent. Come out of the man. At that, the evil spirit screamed and threw the man into a convulsion, and then he left him. Amazement gripped the audience and they began to discuss what had happened. What sort of new teaching is this? They asked excitedly. It has such authority, even evil spirits obey his orders. The news of what he had done spread quickly through the entire area of Galilee. All right, thank you. Um, I think before I uh, dive into this, uh, I just wanna thank Eden for what she shared this morning. I think it's interesting to see God's timing and uh, yeah, I'm just encouraged by uh, what she shared, so. Um, so in this passage, what we have is Jesus comes to Capernaum and on the Sabbath, he went to the synagogue. Um, the synagogue is a place where most Jews would go. Um, it's a place of instruction on the Sabbath. Uh, it's a center of Jewish culture and literature, uh, teaching Jewish law and how to read the Torah to children and converts. Also a, a civil meeting place like a courthouse where there would be disputes, marriages, uh, and legal consultations. So quite a busy place filled with a lot of Jewish activity and authority. But it's here that Jesus taught with an authority that amazed the people. They were blown away. Whatever he said and however he said it, it was so different than the normal teachers. Um, then a, possess a possessed man confronted Jesus and named who he was. Jesus quickly reprimanded the spirit and commanded him out. With everyone watching, the people were astonished again. Who was this man, this teaching, the authority to drive out an evil spirit with such little effort? It's no wonder that word spread quickly. What stands out to me in this passage is the authority of Jesus, which is twice mentioned. And um, not in the action um, of the evil spirit, uh, though that was impressive and physical, a physical demonstration, but what stood out is the, is the first authority he had. Um, the command that um, he took when people heard him teach. These would have been people who were used to authority figures and commands on how to live, but when Jesus did it, it was something different. In verse 22, um, it says the people were amazed. The Passion Translation, um, I like better, it says they were awestruck and overwhelmed. He taught with real authority, unlike the teachers of the religious law. So what do we know about his teaching? Well, he wasn't like the usual teachers. Religious teachers in comparison were like attorneys working out the details of the law in various situations. They had the Torah and the Holy Scripts, and they would take the truth of these holy texts and try to apply them. They would quibble over minutiae, quoting other rabbis, building cases on top of other precedences. It's no wonder that Jesus felt they were getting it wrong. 
their traditions and emphasis were straying too far from the original intent. Like a tower built on a foundation, every column needs to be trusted and more so the higher you go with each layer. I think of the tallest building in the world, which I believe is the Burj Khalifa in Dubai, standing at eight, about 830 meters tall. If even one of those columns is but a little fragile or unsecure or untrusted, the whole thing will topple. But in comparison to the religious leaders, what did Jesus do? Well, he taught with authority. Authority defined as the power or right to give orders, make decisions and enforce obedience. With that comes a confidence, a certainty. In Richard Rohr's book, What Do We Do With the Bible? He talks about a few different things that Jesus did differently as he taught versus the religious teachers. He would, he would openly disagree with scripture that emphasized non-essentials, the works of the religious law such as in Matthew 23 and Mark 7. He ignored the sacred taboos of the culture, like working on the Sabbath, meeting with women, meeting unclean people, touching the dead, not stoning women adulterers. He even reduced the 613 biblical commandments down to two, love your God and love your neighbor. He would seemingly add new commands or commandments as well like when the rich man wanted to know how to get eternal life. He said he'd and he said he'd satisfied all the commandments. So Jesus said, then the next step is you need to sell everything you have to the poor. Sometimes he would also omit verses, do selective quoting. He read a scroll from Isaiah and in it, he stops mid sentence. He leaves out a final part of a verse about the vengeance for God's enemies, ending it with the Lord's favor has come instead of the Lord's favor has come and with it the day of God's anger against their enemies. He uses scripture in unexpected ways to defend people like David eating the loaves of offering and a man working on the Sabbath to get his donkey. He even reinterpreted the law on the Sermon on the Mount when he would say, the law says, but I say. Jesus did all these things which angered the leaders. But Jesus had an inner understanding that we don't. And of course, he did this differently because he was God. He could speak with authority. He had authority because he is the author. These words, author and authority, share the same root. Only an author has authority over his or her domain. Richard Neal Donovan uh, raised an example uh, using a poem to detail the differences between an author and interpreters. And I, I appreciated this view. He said that a class of literaries could sit for hours interpreting a poem and reasoning this, that, and the other thing about what the author meant or was trying to do. These people may have devoted years of their life to an author, and some in their reasoning would no doubt be closer than others to its original intent. But only the author can come in and actually say what is true and valid and do it with 
authority and certainty. Um, but we certainly like to try to figure things out. And I think about music that we hear and some of it is so obscure and, and deep. Uh, and I'm definitely the sort um, who loves to look up lyrics and try to dive into what's going on and being described and, and what was originally meant. But lots of time, lots of the time, I don't have a clue and I need to Google some facts to try to figure something else out. So here we have the author coming down and trying to set us straight, cutting through all the layers of interpretation and pulling out the truth at the heart of it. I'd like to take a moment and just recognize how reasonable what the teachers of the law were, were doing was, at least in part. Now they had issues. They strayed too far from the laws, got lost in trying to turn a profit and became hypocritical and intolerant. But they had a set of laws or commands from the author, laws that didn't cover everything and they were as human as us. They wanted to figure out what to do for everything not directly addressed. They were trying to create certainty for themselves and the people. We do the same thing for the same reason. We want the same certainty. We want to know, we want to know that certainty so we know what to do, to know what's right or wrong, so we can live confidently, we can respond correctly, we can be comforted that we're not wrong, so we have answers for our friends or even our enemies. But also, things stay simple. Everything sits in a nice, neat little box. Life is easier to respond to. We want to be certain in so many things, but haven't we all been wrong before? I, I remember as a kid, I was certain that a small handful of foods were absolutely terrible. Tomatoes, pickles, onion, bananas, avocados, fish, salads, cranberries, pears, coconuts, Brussels sprouts, yams, mustard. These things were a waste of space. But of course, over the years, I somehow learned that these foods are actually fantastic. Except for pickles, they have yet to find a place in my heart. But um, through this, I've told myself that I want to try every food at least once because it was such, it's been such a great experience for me to transition from what I didn't like to what I like. And now when I tell my kids about the foods I didn't like, they think it's hilarious because they at only at the ages five, of five or seven enjoy almost all of these foods. I was a fool for being so certain. I was also certain as a young adult that people just needed to be loved and that would fix everything. Now, I don't think I'm necessarily wrong on that fact, but what, loves, what love looks like is different for each of us. I was wrong in not seeing that what love looks like for me is different for you. I learned my older brother was not a hugger, no matter how much I thought he needed it. And that was an awakening. There's so many areas of life where we want to be certain. We want to know what's right, the best way to raise children, 
Political standing, LGBTQ, pro-life, pro-choice, vaccines, church denomination, baptisms, name brand Nutella, or do you go for the knockoff? Pick your poison. But the reality is we can't speak into these things with certainty and authority. Like a musician, poet, or author, we can look at the words or lyrics, the interviews given, the public statements made, what's written on songmeaning.com, and those things guide us, but they're describing the truth more than they are the truth itself. The author still has more depth and more dimension than what we see, hear, or read. We're never gonna know him fully enough to obtain that certainty here on earth. So what then? Well, the hope, the good news is that Jesus is the authority. We don't need to be. The good news is he's with us, whispering and speaking to each of us. Like each person he met, he knew the words and next steps they needed to take in their lives. Like the woman at the well, the rich man needing to sell his possessions and warning Peter of his denial. His speaking to us, maybe trying to get us to all be the same amazing, loving people who can reflect his glory, or maybe he'll make us uniquely different as the body of Christ. That personal relationship is moving each of us forward, hopefully making us better than the day before. He's moving us along, but we're each at different stages. We don't know what each other's next step is. We don't know the end goal. We need to let the author speak and change each of us from the inside as he sees fit. He'll decide what the next step needs to be. And we need to trust him in that. I don't know where I picked it up, but what's been very freeing for me is just that idea that it's not my job to fix people and decide who they should be. I'm here to bring people to Jesus as they are and leave them in his hands to mold. It's actually quite freeing when I remember it, but also very humbling around those I love who I also disagree with. You see, I don't get to control what that change looks like. So if Jesus is taking care of them, what do we do? We follow the commandments that the law was built upon. Matthew 22, he says, um, love the Lord God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself, and that the entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. We should love people and lead them to Jesus. Let him take care of the rest. He has the authority. The easy part is loving those most like us or seeming worthy of our empathy. The harder part is loving those who we disagree with. I think it's important to engage with those who are different. They may just need our engagement to help them move along in their next step. But people want to know they're accepted before they're willing to listen. And again, it's not our job to change people. Jesus will lead them on their path. Open a conversation, listen to them, hear their concerns, and understand their priorities. 
Share your thoughts, your understanding, your convictions, your experience, the science of what you understand. But don't be so caught up in being certain that your experiences need to be their experiences. Jesus included people who were on the fringes. He told them what they needed to hear to move them along. And he did it by including them, by caring for them first. Now, I think our job or our group here at the bridge does a great job of inclusion, particularly of those groups traditionally shunned by the church. We're pretty open-minded, but at the same time, I know we all have blind spots. What gets under our skin and why? Who or what frustrates us? How do we feel about those who aren't as accepting as we are? People who are more traditional in their understanding and views of what God's love looks like. Can we accept and love them where they're at in their journey? But with whatever it is, let's not let our certainty be greater than our love. Let's leave people with the author who loves them and let him mold them. Thank you.